Welcome to the Nurse Surgery Podcast. I'm Mike Wang, and I'm here with my co-host, J.P. Colson. We are here to discuss all things neurosurgical. Hi, this is J.P. Colson, a resident in neurosurgery at Rush University. Please note that this is not a CME event, and the opinions and statements made in this podcast do not reflect those of any institution or professional organization. Now, let's get started. Welcome to the Nursery Podcast. Today, we're joined by another section chair. And just to recap, the AANS and CNS have daughter societies that specialize or deal with the subspecialties of neurosurgery. So today, we're delighted to be joined by Joseph Nemat. Joe is the chairman at the uh, University of Louisville in Louisville, Kentucky. And Joe is the head of the stereotactic and functional section. Joe, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure. Joe, can you start out uh, by telling us a little bit about your history and how you got into neurosurgery and into functional neurosurgery? Sure. Uh, so I, uh, uh, gosh, so I was I was a medical student at Duke University during that time. I also did a, a master's in neurobiology and uh, became very interested in the neuroscience of cognition. Uh, I went on to residency at MGH, where I was uh, influenced by some fantastic surgeon scientists, uh, uh, Ahmad Eskandar and Rhys Cosgrove, uh, and they really drew me in. Uh, and then I had excellent mentorship from Andres Lozano in, in my fellowship in Toronto, and that, that's sort of how I uh, fell into functional neurosurgery. Um, I can go on from there if you like, or I can. I can uh, well, I mean, I, I think that's very interesting, and, and what a what a time to have this conversation. As we recently had a mini series on the show regarding cognition and and the neurosurgical approach to cognition, featuring some of the names you just mentioned there. Um, so it, it sounds to me like this interest in the basic science and the biology of the nervous system itself brought you to medicine, brought you to neurosurgery rather than finding that passion along the road? Yeah, I think so. I, I think it's that, you know, it's, it was sort of the opportunity to see firsthand these fundamental questions about, you know, cognition and personality and uh, free will. And I mean, it can be sort of as fanciful as you want to make it. Uh, neurosurgery represented all those things to me, and that's kind of what drew me into the field. Um, I, I can remember very distinctly the, the, the case that kind of hooked me was an awake craniotomy that I saw performed as a medical student. And I thought, wow, what a, what a fascinating thing to be here, you know, operating on and, and speaking to a brain that we are sort of seeing in real time. And that was unlike anything I had experienced uh, and it really drew me in. Now, as we look at these sections of the AANS and CNS, they're sort of artificial divisions, right? So in other words, if we were to think about the pain section, that could technically fall under functional, but this is specifically called the stereotactic and functional, um, if you will, group of surgeons, right, which I guess includes epilepsy too. So tell us about how that evolved and, and how uh, it became affiliated with, with the ASSFN and what that really means. Yeah, so, so uh, the, the, the functional section is somewhat different because it really... Uh, it had its genesis in its own society. So, you know, back in the 1950s, when the first stereotactic techniques were being described, uh, a, a team uh, by the name of Spiegel and Weichs in Philadelphia were, were really doing the first stere meaningful stereotactic surgeries. And surgeons from all over the world would come and sort of see their techniques and start doing the same things and, and develop their own sort of, um, you know, frames that they would sort of create in their basement pretty much. 
And in, in, in meeting together, coming to Philadelphia, going to other places, they, they developed something they called the, I believe it was the Society for Research in Stereoencephalotomy. And that was really the genesis of what ultimately became uh, first the, the World uh, Society for Stereotactic and Functional Neurosurgery, and, uh, and then uh, grew from that independent branches, the American Society, uh, European Society, etc. Um, at some point, and I don't know the exact history, that the CNS and AANS adopted that society as, as also sort of the, the keeper of their section. Uh, and so we serve that dual role. We are an independent society, but also the, the, the section for for the CNS and AANS. Well, and no, that's exactly where I wanted to take you next, sir. Thinking about the origins of this section and how you got to where you are today, um, and also thinking kind of as we touched on there, how there's this blending of roles and these fuzzy lines between the various subsections of neurosurgery, where, as you said, what got you interested in functional neurosurgery was in fact a, a case for a tumor. And there's tr the treatment of pain, the treatment of epilepsy. Uh, but again, thinking about where the section came from and how you got to its current instantiation, maybe you could tell us what are the main roles and functions of the section today, um, both for the patients that we all care for, but also for the neurosurgeons that you help to organize. Yeah, so, so you know, our, our section, our society just went through a sort of a year-long strategic planning to, to really answer this question. What, what is our role? What are we trying to do? Uh, and and the, the entire board really sort of mulled this over and argued about it and, and sort of came to a solution. In, in my own thinking about it, I, I sort of stepped back to that first genesis of the Society for Stereoencephalotomy, which was basically centered around th three things. It was centered around research, which was important. They were trying to figure out how to do these surgeries and do them better. Uh, the second was education. Uh, how, do you, how do you teach each other? Can we work together to to learn better as, as a group, as, a, as, a, as an amalgam of all these surgeons trying to do these things. Uh, and the third was, was really advocacy, was, was you know, working with uh, the society to sort of you know, get these uh, techniques, which were all very new, you know, established in the neurosurgical armamentarium. And, and so as we went through that process over the last year, it was these three pillars that really uh, have, have formed kind of the core of what we are trying to do. So, Joe, can you walk us through maybe a little bit of, of a sampling of the types of surgeries that are being done uh, with folks in the ASSFN? In other words, I'm thinking about, you know, the, the, um, the functional aspects, the pain aspects, the epilepsy. What are the different categories? I'm sure at your national meeting, you would have this sort of divided out somewhat as well, right? Like, give us a sampling of what it is you guys actually do. Yeah, so I, I, there, there are certainly several areas. I mean, I, I guess the ones that I think about principally are what has been traditionally part of functional neurosurgery. And, and there are other names that have been thrown around. Functional was, was a term coined by Lars Lexell, which I, I'm told he was never perfectly happy with because it, it's hard to define what that is. I, I think sometimes a better term is neuromodulation. I think a lot of what we do is essentially... Mm -hmm aimed at changing the function of the brain itself, where many surgeries that we otherwise do in neurosurgery are removing some insult to the brain or, uh, you know, changing something that impinges on the brain. Uh, functional neurosurgery or neuromodulation is, is seeking to adjust the function of the brain primarily. Um, so, so the things that the sort of the subdivisions of therapies that we are involved in, so epilepsy, 
is a big one and is a field that I think is growing over the last decade or so. Uh, obviously, deep brain stimulation and more broadly uh, treatment of movement disorders uh, is is an area that has been has seen a lot of growth in the last 20 years with the advent of DBS uh, and continues to be uh, something that is a, a large uh, involvement for all of us. Um, the treatment of pain in, in many different facets, I think, is a critical part of what we do. And that, that typically is sort of the, you know, treatment of the perception of pain, not so much the treat, you know, many, many surgeons are treating pain. Spine surgery is, is often aimed at treating pain, et cetera. But, but, uh, as functional neurosurgeons, we are often asked to treat pain when the structural insult or the structural defect seems to have been removed or is not present. Um, uh, and there are certainly other areas that are tangential to it. Uh, within DBS, there is also a growing uh, effort to treat other diseases with brain stimulation or neuromodulation. Those include psychiatric diseases, which has been a very large research effort of, of mine and many other people um, uh, over the past decade. Um, uh, there, there are novel uh, applications like deep brain stimulation for Alzheimer's disease, so cognitive uh, interventions that, that may be uh, on the rise. We're, we're looking at some uh, ongoing trials that may, may prove that that is efficacious. Um, and then there are other things that are sort of come in and out of the field. So uh, treat, sometimes treatment of uh, NPH is one that many functional surgeons uh, involve themselves in. And so that's something that, that a, a group within the society has, has engaged in. Uh, treatment of spasticity um, through uh, intrathecal pumps or through dorsal rhizotomies, et cetera, um, is, is often uh, involved in the society. So, so there, there are many things that I think are, are related. Well, in thinking about these various roles and functions within the section and the various disorders treated by your members, perhaps I can have you put on your executive, administrative, organized neurosurgery hat and make a pitch not for the academic side of things, not for the clinical side of things, but for engaging and taking an active role in organized neurosurgery. Maybe help our listeners understand why, you know, we all come from an academic background by definition in our training and everyone has their various ratios of research to clinical time but maybe not everyone is as engaged in organized neurosurgery and the collaboration within the field from that aspect. So maybe make a pitch to our listeners, both residents entering into the field who will choose their own ratios of how to spend time, but practitioners in the field now for why they should take an active role in organizations like yours. Yeah, I, you know, I think the ideas that we sort of started talking about at the beginning are are, are critically important and are really wonderful adjuncts to one's career. So we, we all have our activities that we do day to day, the time we spend in the OR, perhaps research we do, uh, training residents, th those things locally are, are very gratifying. Uh, at, at the same time, I think an opportunity to sort of take that to a, a national or international stage and to be involved in, uh, you know, determining clinical practice for the society, for the country, for even in the world, we've we've had uh, you know joint statements and meetings with uh, individuals all over the world thinking about the application of DBS for psychiatric disease. I, I learn a ton from individuals in other places that are doing those same things, and the ability to advocate and shape the field is something that I've really appreciated in my career. 
at, at the same uh, on the same token, the, the ability to engage in you know in in research through multi-center studies through uh, you know sharing of information registries etc. with individuals uh, at, at other programs is something that I've really appreciated that that is uh, facilitated by the society. Um, and, and then I think to have an impact on what we do in the context of society, to, you know, how, how does our field uh, provide a service to patients broadly? How can we improve that service? How can we grow it uh, nationally and internationally? Uh, I think is something that I very much enjoyed uh, seeing the effects of. So, Joe, you know, as a spine surgeon, we understand that all neurosurgeons, by definition, are are generalists. They can do everything, and that most do a lot of spine surgery. But in functional, this is as as you've already indicated. There's so many aspects of it, and it's really quite rarefied, right? Do you feel that uh, folks doing functional neurosurgery really need special training? I know it's not a policy statement, right? I, I, you have to be careful when you say these things. But sure. yeah. is, is it the kind of field that basically the the only folks really that are really doing this well, they've either spent special time or they've really dedicated a big portion of their life to studying it, even if it's informal? I, yeah, I, I think, you know, a, a lot of the procedures can can be done, you know, and can be learned without, uh, without, without a great deal of additional training. You need some because it's specialized and it's different, but, the, but that can be learned. And, and Lord knows there are things that I have, that I do today that, you know, laser ablation, for example, did not exist when I was training in my residency or fellowship. So you will need to uh, learn and take on techniques that are that are novel if you're going to keep up with the with the pace of the field. Uh, but I I do think that people who are doing it well really have taken dedicated time to to learn these things, uh, to to spend some time doing specialized training in them, and and more than that, to continue that training through their career. So that they are always, you know, improving and, uh, you know, rethinking what they do and and, and making it better. Uh, in, in my own, you know, I, I I did a fellowship before starting my practice. I, there was a time around uh, I don't know eight years or so into my practice when I wanted to take on some new techniques in epilepsy, and I spent some time traveling and visiting colleagues in different programs around the country, uh, and just seeing what they did and sitting in on their conferences. That was one of the most gratifying experiences I've had, the opportunity to just you know, learn or relearn or see how things were done differently in other places uh, was exceptionally useful to me. And I hope we will all sort of take that opportunity because I think it's really valuable. You know, I think functional neurosurgery among the sub-disciplines in the field is, is one of those that is constantly and rapidly evolving. It's very technology-driven. Um, and not only new tools are being placed in the hands of neurosurgeons, but uh, wildly new techniques and approaches, as you mentioned uh, there with laser ablation. Um, it, looking back on your career and your time in the field, w- what would you say are the most dramatic um, novelties that have come up in your own scope of practice? And perhaps do you anticipate anything or, or look forward to anything uh, coming down the road for us all? Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm, I'm old enough now, I guess, to, to actually have some perspective on this. So I, you know, I I was doing some of the first DBS cases as a resident uh, when that uh, when that you know system was approved in the U.S. And so I can remember the first time uh, seeing deep brain stimulation as opposed to a pallidotomy and thinking, gee, this is a this is a better way to do things. Uh, mm. That was exciting. Uh, I had a similar 
uh, experience the, the first time I did a laser ablation, having for, you know, for more than a decade done temporal lobectomies and selective amygdala hippocampectomies. Uh, I was relatively, not the earliest, but a, an early adopter of laser ablation. And, and my first experience was, gee, this is, this is a better way to do this. This is a, you know, this is a more refined technique. Um, I, I think there are many things that are like that that are being added. I think the, the one that really stands out to me uh, that, that is sort of growing now is, is the opportunity for closed loop stimulation. So, the, you know, the first of those devices really was the Neuropace device that uh, records seizures, reads them, and then, and then uh, applies stimulation to, to, to stop a seizure. Uh, that, that same closed loop technology is now present in, or is starting to be present in, in some of the DBS devices. And, and I think there's a very nice convergence that's going on. We, we are, I think in the next decade, increasingly going to have comprehension for the mechanism by which the brain does much of what it does or by which disease, uh, for epilepsy, movement disorders, psychiatric disease, but by which that is, uh, represented in the brain. And as we apply closed loop stimulation, we will have essentially the opportunity, I think, to decode uh, some of what creates these neurological diseases and treat them uh, in a way that is intelligent. And that, I think, is going to be a, a real revolution in our field. So, Joe, one of my pet peeves, of course, is when people introduce me or any neurosurgeon and they say this person is a neurologist, right? And they <laughs> happens all the time, right? And I'm fairly disagreeable, unlike you. So I always fire back immediately with like, there could be to two specialties in medicine, and they couldn't be further apart than neurology and neurosurgery in style, demeanor and whatnot, right? And so it's fairly disagreeable to say that I apologize to any neurologist listening. But I think most people understand that neurosurgeons classically are quite different. But you spend a lot of time working with neurologists, right? In almost every aspect of what you do. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, and I know you can't say it's frustrating and all that, but do you find that, that functional neurosurgeons are a little bit more like a neurologist maybe than a spine surgeon? I, I think so. You know, I, so I, I have very close colleagues in neurology, so I'm going to have to be careful what I say. I, I, uh, <laughs> let, let, me, let me, I'll give a little bit of history. So I, when I started medical school with a strong interest in neuroscience, I really thought I would do neurology. And did that rotation, liked it, um, you know, but went on and I said, well, I'll, I'll see some neurosurgery just to see what's, what that's like. And the effect was instant. It was, you know, wow, this is, this is just so much more exciting to me, so much more engaging, you know, by, by eight o'clock in the morning, we've done more than I might do in a whole day on another service. And that, that was, and I realized that the difference for me was one of temperament, that whatever my interests were, which were aligned with neurology. My, my temperament was such that I really belonged in neurosurgery. Uh, I had the opportunity several times now to, to meet uh, Dr. Benabid, who invented DBS, not, not invented, but was really the person to, uh, to, to make DBS what it is today. Uh, and when I first met him and was discussing sort of his career, what, what he said to me was interesting. He said, I, I think of myself as a surgical neurologist. His interest, he, he's a extremely thoughtful, he's a background, I think, in He's a physicist and many other things, but brilliant guy. But but he said, "Why, well, you know, I really very similarly. I was interested in neurology, and I was drawn to surgery as a way to apply what I wanted to do." Um, so so I think there is a certain alignment there. I, I have often seen that that the, the many neurosurgeons that I know sort of come to neurosurgery one of two ways: either they are 
surgeons first and neurosurgeons second, they say, okay, I'm going to do surgery in medical school. I'll look at cardiac surgery and general surgery and, and hit on neurosurgery as, as the one that really feels right to them. Or they sort of come at it the way I did, which was, I have an interest in neuroscience. What are the things that, uh, you know, sort of deal with that science? Well, it could be neurology, could be neurosurgery. Hey, neurosurgery seems like the right one. Uh, and I think the functional neurosurgeons tend to be more of, of that personality, although uh, there are, you know, I think we're more similar than different, but, but that, that I've noted that. Well, let's speak to those uh, young folks for a moment. As the, as the young guy in the room on, on the show, I always try to make a, make a pitch for the resident and the student perspective. Um, in, the, in the functional section, what role is there and, and how can young folks, be they medical students up to even residents with an interest in this subfield of neurosurgery, what role is there for trainees to get involved in the section? Yes, yeah, so we, we are absolutely, you know, we are, we are very, very interested to have, uh, you know, students involved from, from the earliest times. The medical students can have a, uh, a complimentary membership and be part of our society. And when we're eager to have them uh, on board, um, we, we have a, a resident representative on our uh, ASSFN board, uh, which, which uh, often, you know, tries to give us that perspective. Uh, we have been lately, you know, in this COVID year, uh, been trying to engage our membership through town halls. So we have virtual town halls that we've we've had one of and we're planning three more in the spring and uh, have had several students there, both medical students and residents, uh, attend those meetings and and really provide very meaningful, uh, you know, in, insight and and, uh, and and really you know help us drive what it is that we as a society want to be doing. Uh, we have active efforts in uh, in our uh, education. Uh, committee uh, to uh, increase the engagement uh, that we have with with, with residents. And we're, we're very, very open to anyone who wants to get involved. So Joe, as section chair for functional and stereotactic, I would like to conclude by asking you a question about how you would pitch this for a, uh, for a person who's on the fence trying to decide what they want to do with their life as to why, if you were going to specialize, why stereotactic and functional is definitely the way to go. Yeah, that, that's. I mean, I, I think that's easy, right? So I, I, um, I you know, as, as I said, I really think that uh, neuromodulation surgery is um, is really the future of neurosurgery. That we are in the next decade learning so much about the way the brain functions, the way diseases occur within the brain, and and finally having the ability through advanced stimulation techniques and probably through machine learning to to really apply meaningful integration uh, uh, with, with with the structure that is the brain. Uh, I, I think that is going to be a tremendously exciting thing. And I think to be entering the field of neuromodulation and functional neurosurgery uh, at this time is, is going to be a unique career. Uh, and I'm very excited about that. Well, that's excellent. Um, we want to respect your time and the time of our listeners. Uh, thank you so much, Dr. Niemann, for coming on the show today, sharing with us uh, not only the past, but the present and future of the uh, functional section in neurosurgery for all of our listeners. And uh, hopefully you got some new recruits with the pitch there at the end. Um, so thanks. Uh, thanks again very much for coming on the neurosurgery podcast. Thank you for having me. I enjoy your podcast and it's been a pleasure to, to speak with you. Mm-hmm.